Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Jordan Addison is officially leaving Pitt and headed to USC. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen. And what are we going to be talking about in this episode? We're going to be talking about Jordan Addison. We're going to be talking about the transfer system, how that works with NIL, name, image, and likeness. And just the the entire setup and how much of a problem it is for smaller schools, schools like Pitt that aren't small, their programs aren't small, the programs are successful, historic programs, but just won't be able to keep up with the top dogs of the sport. So that's what we're going to be talking about. It was reported weeks ago at this point, and I was going to do a podcast then, but I sort of wanted to wait until it was no longer speculation and uh, waited till it was official, uh, especially because the story was changing, that maybe his options were open, maybe he was going to go to Bama, maybe he was going to go to Texas. No, it, st- it finished as it started. Jordan Addison going to USC. Why? The answer to all your questions is money. Jordan Addison, according to reports, was offered millions of dollars in a name, image, and likeness deal, or deals, for him to go to USC. Now, essentially how this works, a school cannot pay a player to go to their university or play for their program. However, players can get paid for their name, image, or likeness. They can get paid to sponsor you know, Buffalo Wild Wings, or they can get paid to sponsor a local car dealership, as Jordan Addison was. Jordan Addison had sponsorship deals in Pittsburgh. However, this sort of opens things up, and this was established just a couple of years ago, 
And overall, it is a net good thing. It's a really good thing that a college swimmer can teach swim lessons and say, yeah, I'm a college swimmer at the University of Pittsburgh. I, I know what I'm doing. Hire me to teach someone how to swim. That is a good thing that you can now utilize that. It's a good thing that if a player, uh, you know, goes, is committed to a university like Kenny Pickett, that he can take his team out for his offensive line out for a dinner every single week and not have to, to pay for it himself because a restaurant sponsors him and then he just posts about it on social media. It's a good thing that if a player plays really well, that a, a local company, a local, you know, or even a national company. We saw uh, Doug Edert from St. Peter's. He caught on in March Madness. Then he gets sponsored by Buffalo Wild Wings. I mean, that is a net good for these players being able to make some money and make, some, make a profit off of the work that they're putting in. That is a good thing. However, there are loopholes. And loopholes exist in everything. And people have very quickly figured out how to utilize these loopholes. And that is that a, uh, a company, a prominent, a prominent booster of USC would offer Jordan Addison money for his name, image, and likeness. Now, that can't directly be tied to him going to USC. You can't say, I will only give you the money if you go to USC. But it's very much understood that you only get the money if you go to USC. This person's not going to sign you to an NIL deal if he's a big USC booster and you're not playing for USC. So essentially what that means is you've now gone from a system that was... Uh, again, with amazing intent to allow players to make a profit off of their hard-earned work to now a strictly pay-for-play model. And the problem with that isn't that players are getting paid because they should be getting paid. The problem is there are zero regulations. There is zero transparency. There is nothing about it that is fair because it is the Wild West. And... We're going to talk about that in this episode. One thing that was that I think in particular, uh, Pitt fans, just to go back to the beginning, one thing in particular that I think pe people are frustrated by, it starts with the fact that Jordan Addison, he needs to stay in college, essentially, for one more year. You have to play three years before you can go to the NFL. He's played two at Pitt. So he's got one more year still to play. He said in January on the Panther Lair podcast that he was going to finish his career at Pitt. He said that. He declared that he was going to finish his career at Pitt, which means one more season. Hell, it could have even meant two more seasons, but no one expected that. One more season at Pitt, then you go to the NFL. That's it. And then this the, the news breaks, reports break, not that Jordan Addison was going to enter the transfer portal, because if that had been the case, and Jordan Addison just decided, for whatever reason... If it was, now there aren't too many reasons to want to leave Pitt at this point because there's a lot working for them. But to say, as an example, if he said, I'm going to enter the transfer portal and there were rumors, reports, whatever, that he didn't like Keaton Slovis, the new quarterback. He really liked Kenny Pickett. He loved Pickett throwing to him. He didn't like Keaton Slovis. He doesn't think he's a great quarterback and, and he wants to go find a better quarterback. That would make some sense, and people would be upset, but they'd understand it. 
if this had happened months ago when his wide receivers coach, Brennan Marion, left for the University of Texas and he entered the transfer portal, people would have understood that. Again, a little bit upset, but they would have understood it. Yeah, he made he's got a great bond with this particular positions coach, and the coach is no longer at the university, and he's going to go follow the coach or just go somewhere else. But there's an understandable reason for leaving. There's really no reason to leave Pitt, first of all. Um, it, there's there's just nothing there that would indicate that he couldn't be a first-round draft pick next year, especially when Pitt just had a first-round draft pick this year in Kenny Pickett. And Pitt had a first-round draft pick a few years ago in Aaron Donald, who's now one of the best players in the history of the NFL. So it's kind of absurd if for anyone to make the case, oh, he's just trying to better prepare himself for the future. That would make sense if Pitt were 6-6 six and six and had a scrub at quarterback and didn't have any sort of history. You know, I, I'd understand that. There's really no reason that makes a lot of sense to leave Pitt now. But more important than that, it's not just that he's leaving Pitt. It's that the reports were Jordan Addison is going to enter the transfer portal and transfer to USC where he's been offered or promised or whatever a massive NIL deal. A massive amount of money to go to USC, essentially. This isn't, I'm going to enter the portal because of some reason, and then I'm going to search for my different options, look at different schools, see these different things, and then make a decision. That's how it's supposed to work. And you could make a case, some have made the case, coaches particularly, that even that is a little bit too much. The players should have to sit out a year like they used to, so you, you know, that a commitment means something. And I can understand that argument. But this is how it works now, is if you decide you want to transfer, and for whatever reason, I mean, it doesn't have to be for a particular reason, but obviously if you're going to make that decision, it's usually for a reason. So you, you have a reason, for whatever reason you decide you want to transfer, you put your name into the transfer portal, until then, the rule of the NCAA is you cannot have any contact with any officials, any boosters, any coaches, and nothing from other schools until your name is processed in the transfer portal. Once that's the case, you're essentially a free agent. You can talk to whoever you want. You can make whatever deals you want. If they did that, again, it would have been frustrating to a lot of fans, but it would have at least been proper and above board. The problem is that according to everyone's reporting, this was baked in before he even put his name into the transfer portal, before he even filed the paperwork to enter the transfer portal. The way it works is you file the paperwork with your university, then they have like 48 business hours to actually then process it and put it into the transfer portal, and then you're in. All of this leaked and came out and was known before there was even a rumbling that he might consider transferring. So it's not that he decided he wanted to leave Pitt for whatever reason and then took visits and looked around. He knew before he even submitted his name for the transfer portal, he knew he was going to leave and he knew that he was going to USC because they would offer him millions of dollars. So again, this is very multifaceted and I, I don't fault Jordan Addison too much. I can understand where he's coming from. 
The problem is with the system. The pro- and the problem is with USC and their head coach Lincoln Riley and how they did all this. There were so many ways that they could have avoided this looking so bad. They could have had Jordan Addison enter the transfer portal, even some like back channel deal. It's not right, but and maybe this is what happened. Just very quietly say, hey, there might be some opportunities out here. Convince someone, however you can, in whatever way, that he might have better opportunities elsewhere. You enter the transfer portal. Once you're in there, then you can talk to other teams. And again, there might be some, you know, well, if you come here, we've got a lot of uh, opportunities for NIL. You know, there might be some of that. But this was just so brazen. This was so obviously, just clearly, simply. Leaf Pit, come to USC. We will give you millions through, essentially, a back channel. And I don't understand how people can think that that is fair for the sport. I can understand why people don't take it against the player. They don't hold a grudge against the player because the player is just making money. I can understand that. I mean, it's not like he wasn't making money at Pitt. He was. And then there were reports that Pitt actually matched the offer that USC made. So if those, you know, if that's the case, then, you know, you can't say that he, he wasn't making a significant amount of money or wasn't going to make a significant amount of money if he stayed at Pitt. But I can understand if it's even a dollar more to transfer to USC, I can understand the argument of you could snap your ankle in week one of the new season. You never have a successful NFL career and that's it. So you want to make money while you can. I get that. I completely understand that. But the the way the system worked, the way that this deal worked was just so brazen and and so it, it was corrupt. I mean, it literally went against the rules of the NCAA. Now, whether that's going to be proven or not, we'll see, but you can tell by the fact that multiple outlets reported before Jordan Addison even submitted his name for the transfer portal that he was going to transfer to USC for an NIL deal worth millions of dollars, and now he's doing that. Like, th- this is just obvious. There's not really a dispute. The only thing some people say is, well, who cares? He's, he's making money, and good for him. He makes money when he can. And again, I, I can understand that, but ultimately, this is a sport. This is a, for lack of a better word, league. And at a certain point, you just have to ask yourself, what is the point of a sport, of following a sport, of caring about a sport, of paying attention, of putting your money out for a sport, if there's no hope? Because, yes, this this has happened to some extent in the past with recruiting. Players out of high school offered money, sort of, you know, backroom shady deals to go to a school. But once they're there, they're there. And once a player chooses a different school... They're there. Part of that was because you had to sit out a year if you wanted to transfer. So you wouldn't waste a year of your potential career just to to transfer. And so th- this didn't happen. Yeah, there was some pay-for-play going on with recruits, but there was still a chance for these smaller schools by getting recruits and then developing them and then building them up through your system and trying to find diamonds in the rough. That's how Pitt has thrived 
for years. Someone like Aaron Donald was not a highly prized recruit. If he were, maybe he would have gotten a backroom deal and gone to Bama or gone to LSU or gone to USC. But like a lot of players, was not a highly ranked recruit. Pitt offered him a scholarship. He came. He worked hard. The coaches worked with him. He developed and became the phenomenal football player that he is now. The difference here is that it it even if you do everything right, even if you find those diamonds in the rough and you develop them and you help turn them into phenomenal football players, then another team is just going to snatch them up because with the combination of no penalties for transferring or no deterrence, I should say, uh, for transferring and the ability to essentially above board just waive millions and millions of dollars uh, to whatever transfer you want, you can find all the the underrated recruits in the world. You can develop them to be star players. And then the second that they show promise, they show talent, they're taken. So that's the big difference. And that's what's just so unfair with how things are going. And this is basically entirely the fault of the NCAA. The NCAA refused for years to either pay these athletes or allow these athletes to make money. So that just provided for this system where now there are no rules. They did the absolute bare minimum, and and now the top programs can just poach any talent, both high school players and transfers, at any point they want. And again, just at a certain point, you have to ask, your, ask yourself the question, why try? Why care? Why should fans of Pitt, of Boston College, of uh, uh, of Purdue, of and, and even smaller schools. I mean, I'm talking about pretty big schools, you know, Power 5 schools. That's not even including smaller schools like Buffalo or like Troy or, you know, one of those schools where, you know, they're not a Power 5 school. They don't have that same kind of history, and it's even tougher for them. But now it's tougher for almost everyone, except maybe the 10 biggest schools in the sport. You know, the real blue bloods of college football, the Bamas, LSUs, Texas, uh, USC, Notre Dame, like those massive schools, they can essentially pick from whoever they want and get anyone that they want at any given time. And for the rest, even if you're good, even if you find great recruits, even if you develop them and you have a great season, you sort of feel like what's going to be the point because all those good players are just going to be given millions and millions of dollars to transfer to USC or to Ohio State or to Bama, and that's it, and and, and all that hope is gone. So that is a huge problem for the sport. If you've got people questioning, why should we care? Why should we try when any time that we even get pretty good, we're just going to be stripped of our best players and then knocked back down. That is a huge, huge problem. And it's sort of, I mean, there are some parallels to the European system. I mean, you look at English football, for instance, and this is really the case throughout Europe, is, you know, there's no salary cap there. Uh, This is just a system where players go wherever they want to go. And they can make however much money that a team is willing to give them. 
And you can argue for those merits compared to the American model, where there's a salary cap, where there's free agency with certain dates that you can do uh, certain things, talk to certain teams or players or coaches, whatever. Uh, they're just incredibly different. There are so many regulations in American pro sports with the draft and you know all that. And there were very few regulations in uh, European football. There is one key difference, though, because the way the system works in European football is you offer a transfer fee to a team, assuming that the player is still under contract, and most teams keep players under contract. I mean, it's it's not too common that a player will become a free agent. Uh, usually what happens is they express a desire to go to another club, usually a bigger club with more prestige, and or a bigger club with more prestige and more money decides that they want a player that a smaller club has. They have to pay the club a transfer free fee so that they can have that player. So if you've got a club that is small and you know a miracle can happen and, and they develop a really great player, you the, the club essentially... They're probably going to lose the player because that player is going to want to go to a to a bigger, you know, fancier club. But they will make money, and they can use they can essentially hold teams against each other, use teams against each other, and drive up the price. So this is a system where, yes, these small teams lose their best players, and that's that's a big problem there because for so many clubs in England, outside of like six or seven. A lot of fans are, you know, rightfully sort of think, why do I care so much? Why should I care so much when we have zero hope of winning the league? Almost no teams in England can actually win the Premier League. Almost no teams in Germany can actually win the Bundesliga and so on. Because it's a system that without free agency, without a draft, you know, free agency regulations, without a draft, without a salary cap, it's only going to go to the biggest and, and richest clubs, the ability to really um, succeed. So if you've got all these teams all over Europe saying, well, why should we care so much when any time that we get kind of good, the bigger clubs are just going to snatch up our top players and, and we can't do anything with it. And again, that, and that makes a lot of sense. And yet, college football is becoming even worse than that because, again, at least those clubs get money. Those clubs, if they lose their top players, they get a pretty solid payday for that. And then they can use that to go find other players. And so there's at least some mechanism where, yeah, they lose a star player, but now they have money to go and replace that person. That's not the case with college football. You lose your player, as Pitt just did with Jordan Addison, you get nothing. And if you succeed in the very rare instance in European football that you succeed like Leicester City did some years back and won the Premier League, a team that a lot of people in the U.S. hadn't even heard of. If that happens in college football, it, it's really it can't happen because it's the any time that you show any promise, they're just going to start picking off players. And if it ever were to happen just as a one-off for one year, all those players are going to be gone the next year because the the, the most powerful, richest schools are just going to offer them a huge amount of money. So you've essentially turned college football into a European football model, soccer, whatever you want to call it, which is already deeply unfair 
for in terms of competitive balance. It's fair in terms of players can go where they want and make however much money and clubs can decide what to do. It's fair on that level. But if you're talking about a sport, sort of the number one, to me, the number one responsibility of a sport, well, besides, you know, the actual like integrity of the game, is that the league as a whole is fair, that teams have a chance. Yeah, some teams are going to have a greater chance than others, but that should be dictated by some actual skill and some actual ability, not just who has the most money. Because if this is just becoming who has the most money, then what's even the point? You just put the payrolls up against against each other and you see who comes out on top and they're the winner. Like, I know that's hyperbole, but again, it, it's there has to be some sort of hope that a team can have a chance to do something. That's not even win a national championship. I, uh, there's a good chance that Pitt never wins a national championship again. And most fans understand that and are fine with that. But you at least have a chance where it could happen. You at least have a, a, you know, a good chance where you can win your conference, you can win the ACC, and you can have some sort of glory. And those chances are just getting dimmer and dimmer. Because if this system continues as it is, where any time you get even somewhat good, that then your your star players are going to, you know, be picked off by the richest programs in the sport, then they're really just, you can understand why people feel dejected and feel like, what what's the point? Why do I care so much? Why do I spend my money when I can't even dream about the possibility that my team even makes the playoff? You can understand why if a fan knows that there's no chance their team could ever make the playoff because if they're ever good, the, the good players are just going to just going to uh, be taken away by the top dogs. You can understand why a fan would feel dejected. And that is a big problem for college football. Now, what is the solution? Therein lies the question. I mean, this is a really difficult setup because you've got basically a million different options. The My number one argument is this cannot stand. The Wild West where at any given point, from high school recruiting to transfers, a player, if they show any talent, any promise, is going to be offered million dollar, millions of dollars in NIL money to go to another school, and they take it, and the, the school that gave them the opportunity that helped develop them gets nothing, that is a massive, massive problem. And if it stays the course, it is going to destroy college football for most programs. It's not going to destroy college football for USC or for Bama or for Texas or for Notre Dame. They're going to be fine. So some people, you know, say, "Oh, they've been saying college football will survive because those top programs are going to be insanely powerful and have so much money." The problem is there will be not even the idea, not even the concept of parity will exist in college football. It will be 10 schools or so that are the top teams every single year and no other school has a chance. That will be what happens to college football if this continues. It won't be the death of the sport as a whole. or the de- It will be the death of most. Pitt will never be able to compete again. 
most of the schools in the ACC will never be able to compete on anything close to a national scale. So if you're NC State, if you're Wake Forest, if like it, you just you can stop caring because it it won't matter. Your chances are done. So that's going to be the problem. It's not that college football as a whole. It's going to be the college football, all the small schools, the group of five schools, and a lot of the power five schools are going to stop caring. Their fans are going to stop caring because what is the incentive if if your players are just going to be taken by the top teams? That is the problem. Again, what is the solution? Not entirely sure. Do you bring back the transfer rule where if you transfer, you have to sit out for a year unless you have like a, a certain circumstance, a family member, something like that, uh, an allegation against the team? I don't know. I can understand some pros, but obviously there are lots of cons. If a coach can can jump to another school right away, why can't a player? Then, of course, you could make the case that coaches should have to wait a year before jumping. So maybe something in there. Should there be a deadline with the transfer portal? Should you, at the end of the season, say, okay, players have two months. Two months to get things sorted out. And then, by the time that spring football starts in, I think it's March something, you're locked in. And and you're you're committed with that team. So a player essentially says, I'm not going to play for another team this upcoming season. I have committed to this team. There could be a case for that. And to the broader point of that idea comes what I think is really the 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 best the only best option that would actually solve this. And that option is contracts. Contracts are mutually beneficial for both parties. Because for the players, you can offer them job security, essentially, and protections in terms of how hard they're going to be worked and how, you know, they're going to be taken care of. And if they get injured, will their costs be taken care of, their medical costs be taken care of by the university? Well, you know, all these things can be done in a contract. And by the way, likely at least a certain amount of money, how much that is, if it varies by school, by sport, you know, I don't know exactly, but there is a benefit to players by having a contract, by being locked in, because now there are zero guarantees. Any team could drop your scholarship at any point, could not pay for your medical bills. For whatever reason, there's nothing stopping them. So a contract contracts would be beneficial to players, and then obviously it would be beneficial to programs, because you would essentially have a, a, a guarantee from a player, I am going to play here. Now, whether that's everyone's on a one-year contract, then obviously you still have this problem. Is it a, a two-year contract, a three-year contract? Again, there are a lot of points that can be worked out in, in the details. But I think ultimately the point still stands that to, to have a contract, you're making a commitment. And without a commitment, and again, I, I understand the desire for player rights and player empowerment, and you don't want to necessarily lock them down to a school, but I mean, at that point, if if you're going to, there has to be a middle ground. There has to be moderation. If you're going to say player empowerment, no matter what, in, in every case, then why is there even letters of intent? Why do you have players in high school sign a letter of intent to play for a school 
because that's essentially a contract. That's saying I'm committing to going to this school and playing this sport for them. If at any point you, I mean, if a player can leave at any time or you think a player should be able to leave at any time, transfer at any time, why even have those anymore? Why have a deadline of set? Like, why not just have a player show up on on the first day of of uh, of camp in August, wherever he feels like, and then if a week later he wants to transfer somewhere else, he can do that. I mean, that is so clearly there are limits to be made, unless you think that's a feasible option. There are limits to player empowerment, player free roam, and because if. If there are no limits, then again, it's just the Wild West and, and everyone's hurt. And all these professional leagues have limits. I mean, in the in the NBA and the NFL, there are, again, there's a salary cap. There's a draft so that there's some parity between the teams. There are dates that a certain, you know, that free agents can talk to teams. And, and, you know, so all these things have regulations at the highest level. There's just nothing at the college level now. If you have... Uh, a contract where a player is committing and getting something in return, then there is some stability. Then there is some reason to believe. Then you at least have, outside of extenuating circumstances, a player like Jordan Addison would come to pit, and unless something is terribly wrong, he would be incentivized to stay there because he has a contract, because and, and whatever the penalty would be for breaking that contract, I don't know, because he has guarantees. All those things, players would stay at universities, and there would be some sort of loyalty. College sports can be transient enough where you're a fan of a player and instantly they're gone, especially college basketball, where now it's you go to a school for a year, that's it, then you go to the NBA, and it's just a constant turnover. So you don't really develop any um, relation to the roster, to the players on the team. So that's an issue in and of itself. So if you're going to, I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable to say a college player, again, if they're committing, if they go to, uh, you know, if when they're a high school senior and they sign a letter of intent, that is a commitment. So it's not like this is some unheard of foreign concept of having uh, a student athlete, a player commit to a school and then have to honor that commitment. That is not a foreign concept. This would just give rights, more rights, and more stability to both parties, to the players and to the teams. Because the players would be able to make some money, would be able to have guarantees, would be able to have some assurances, and the teams would actually be able to plan for things. Now, again, if there are extenuating circumstances, if there's some you know family emergency and you're from across the country, uh, you know a, a family member gets really sick, obviously... Yeah, there are going to be exceptions. If uh, turns out, uh, you know, someone on the coaching staff was abusive. Yeah, there are going to be exceptions. If even if your coach leaves, yeah, there are going to be exceptions. Like if your head coach leaves, you commit to that coach. Makes full sense why you'd want to transfer. Uh, and there's also the exception. There could be exceptions of if it's mutually agreed to by both parties. I mean, that's how a lot of things work with contracts. If a player says, yeah, it's just not working for me here. I'm not getting much playing time. Team says, yeah, you're really not. And, uh, you know, we want to help you find a, a better spot for you. Then that makes sense. They get let out of their contract. They get picked by some, picked up by some other school. That happens a lot at a lot of smaller levels. If a player is at, you know, a mid-major school, they're not getting much playing time. They'll say, hey, look, 
if you stay here, we're really not going to play you. That's just not going to be great for any of us. Why don't you look to transfer? We'll help you find the best spot for you, and then you'll get playing time and you'll have a you know a better experience. So obviously there are exceptions. Not like players are just fully locked in for three years or four years or whatever. But at least there's some stability. At least there would be there would have to be some reason for a player leaving besides a booster offered me millions and millions of dollars and maybe a house in Southern California to go play for the team that he roots for. Because again, in this particular case, I, I you know, it's it's clear that the sort of spirit of the law was not followed. Maybe the letter of the law was, even that I doubt it because again, the reports were that he was going to USC for millions of dollars which is what's happening, and that was before he was even in the transfer portal. So there's not allowed to be any contact before he's in the transfer portal. So the the letter of the law most likely wasn't followed, but certainly the intent of the law was not followed, and that's why you have to come up with a better system to where you don't just have these top programs offering millions and millions of dollars and poaching players from programs that, try to build players up, it's it's just very difficult. It's always been difficult for smaller programs. Now it's difficult even for bigger programs in college football. Unless you are one of the biggest of the big, this is, incredibly di- this is going to be incredibly difficult to succeed if you're constantly on the lookout of, of losing your best players, and not because they think somewhere's a better fit for them. Not because, you know, oh, you know, maybe maybe Addison didn't like Keaton Slovis. Maybe he wants to, say, win a conference, but he just won the conference. You know, maybe he wants to make the playoff, and he doesn't think Pitt can make the playoff, so he wants to go maybe to USC or maybe to Bama or maybe to Ohio State. You know, those would be more understandable. But when it's just so brazenly clear that it's going to USC because... They offered him millions of dollars to play there. Full-on pay-for-play. I just don't know how you can look at that and say, this system is working just fine. I, I, I do not know how anyone could make that case. I, I, I respect the argument of, well, Jordan Addison's getting money, so good for him. I, I can understand that. Again, Pitt apparently matched the offer, so he probably would have gotten money if he stayed at Pitt also, but... I can understand the argument of players getting money, so I'm not going to be mad about that. I get it. But if you look at the sport as a whole, this just isn't... It's not fair to most of the teams in the sport, and it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable to have a a sport where 90% of the teams have no reason to give a damn about succeeding. And when again, when it's just so brazen in this pay-for-play... I just don't know how you look at it and say, this is all fine. No, the USC should not have been able to do this how they did this. Lincoln Riley should not have been able to do this how he did this. And to me, if if there aren't significant changes made, and the problem is you wait for the NCAA, like don't hold your breath. It's going to take a while for changes to be made. But until then, this sport for, again, 80-90% of the programs, it's going to go downhill. Because the rich are going to become richer, and the poor are going to get are going to get poorer, and this is just going to further the divide between the haves and the have-nots, 
and it's going to create way more have-nots. There's just going to be, you talk about the top 1%, going to be top 1% of college programs. And outside of that, everyone's going to be struggling, not just to land talent, but to retain talent, to retain much of anything, if this is the case. So, that is the episode. Those are my thoughts on the Jordan Addison situation. Again, I know it's a little bit late, but I wanted to wait until it was official and he did put out the announcement that he was, in fact, transferring transferring to USC. My opinion might have changed if there were reports USC offered him millions, then he entered the transfer portal and he went to Bama or he went to Texas. I could at least understand that, but turns out what happened is the same thing that everyone who has inside knowledge said it was going to happen that he's going to go to USC because he got millions and millions of dollars and and other perks. And even though maybe they put on a show and he was in the transfer portal for a couple weeks and apparently he, you know, was weighing different options, all the the inside reporters are saying he was always going to go to USC. This is always how it was going to end up and it did. So again, if you cannot tell me that it's fair, that it's above board, that it's all fine, if people with insider knowledge knew exactly what was happening from the jump, that, that this was going to happen. And so that's that's just why. It's just so clearly unfair. If, if you have other thoughts, please let me know. Reach out on Twitter at Corey E. Cohen, C-O-R-E-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N. Feel free to comment if you're uh, on CardiacHill.com. Comment, and, uh, and you know we can have a chat about this. But I just don't see how people can justify the state of things with college football and how people are using NIL to essentially just do straight-up pay-for-play without any sort of regulations or or just anything. I mean, it's I can understand you know wanting players to make money. I fully respect that, but there has to be some sort of proper system to do it, and this very clearly isn't it. So that is it for this episode of Unscripted. Uh, not sure exactly when we'll be back now in the summer. Not too much happens. So if there's something that happens such as this, we'll be back to talk about it. Um, but if not, hope you're all enjoying yourselves, having a great spring into a great summer. Before you know it, we're going to be doing football previews and the 2023 season will be starting. So that's it for now. Until next time, I'm Corey Cohen signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast.